0: Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're on the Isles of Scilly in the UK with Peter Aldred, the author of Treasured Islands. Peter explored all the UK's islands for his book, and he had a wonderful time camping with his wife in Scilly, so he wanted to be able to share all his favorite tips. In this episode, Peter and I talk about exploring the Valhalla Museum, wandering through the Tresco Gardens, and stargazing during Dark Skies Week. You're we about these three amazing experiences and so much more. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash now let's get started the we travel there podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do eat drink and see from a local's point of view acorns is one of my favorite apps because it helps me invest spare change automatically every time i make a purchase with a registered debit or credit card the transaction is rounded up to the next dollar then Acorn invests these roundups in my personalized portfolio. Plus when you shop at participating retailers or service providers, you can earn additional found money to invest in your future. Examples of current and previous partners include DoorDash, Liberty Mutual, Macy's, and FedEx. I've been using Acorns for years and love how much money I've saved up from all these small investments. Sign up using my referral link at wetravelthere.com forward slash acorns to start saving today. Hey Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Today we're talking about a place called the Isles of Scilly, and quite honestly, I've never heard of this place. Uh, but uh, apparently, there's you wrote a book about all these fascinating islands all over the coast of the, the UK, and so I'm just really excited to to learn about these uh, these beautiful pictures and these beautiful islands.
1: Yeah, so um, obviously everybody knows that the UK is an island itself, and when I set out to write this book, Treasured Islands. Um I wanted to capture like the unique feel of the different islands that are actually uh, around the British coast. So I didn't realize at the time, but they're actually um, in the British Isles, more than 6000 different islands uh, and around 200 or so are inhabited. And then, yeah, one of my favorite groups of island is uh, the bizarrely named Isles of Scilly, uh, which is just off the southwest coast of England.
0: Um not too far away from the very sort of popular holiday county of, of Cornwall. Oh, nice. Okay. So yeah, I was just in London a couple of weeks ago and say I'm flying into London and say, you know what, I'm going to leave the city for a little bit and I want to go explore the countryside. I want to explore some of the islands and things like that. If I want to go to Sicily, uh, and I flew into London, uh, is that the way to go and the, basically rent a car or something to, to go out there or should I fly into a different airport if I want to go visit them? Most people
1: who go to the Isles of Scilly actually leave from from Cornwall. Uh, the most popular way to get to the Isles of Scilly is uh, on a boat, which leaves the town of Penzance, which you may have heard of from the Pirates of Penzance musical. And yeah, that is a very famous boat in the area called the Silonian. And yeah, you can get on there as a passenger. It's about three hours it takes you across the water to the Isles of Scilly. It's got a nickname as well, the Cyclonian, because the seas are quite rough. It's called the Vomit Comet because a lot <laughs> of people, a lot of people fall uh, to seasickness uh, on the way over. That's probably the best way. No point taking your car though. You have to leave that at Penzance because you're not allowed to take your car. It's not, it's not like a car ferry. You're not allowed to take your car on. And then, if your budget's a little bit higher, there are options during the summer months, especially. To get um, like a helicopter or a plane over there from um, from maybe Newquay or Lands End in Cornwall.
0: Okay, yeah, my, my budget isn't quite that high yet. Uh, <laughs> working yeah, on e- it. Either way, either way, I think I'd recommend
1: for the uh, for the of Scilly travel in light. It's not somewhere you want to go with like lots and lots of bags because you you are going to have to uh, lug them around the the ship and get them off at the other
0: end. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so once we uh, arrive to Scilly, like. From what I understand, there's actually multiple islands there. So you take the ferry to, like, the main island, and then if you want to explore some of the other islands, you would take additional boats to go to the others? Yeah, so um, the airport, the main aer- the airport there, is on an island called St. Mary's,
1: and that is also where the boat will arrive. So that's the, sort of the main inhabited island. And then from there if you're staying on one of the different islands, you would have to get on a on a smaller boat and, and go exploring uh, and until you find the place where you stay So on St Mary's the main island, there's around about seventeen hundred people living there. So but and and then if you've been staying on one of the smaller islands and then you go back to St Marys, it, it feels a bit like Las Vegas because <laughs> you've been out in the middle of nowhere and suddenly you're back in with the with the bright lights and uh, oh, gosh gosh, there's a supermarket, that kind of thing. But no, when we arrived, we went to stay on a small island called Briar, and so we came with on the Salonian, and then they've got a very well-organized system for, you say which island is your actual, your final destination before you get on, uh, and so it's all put in, in groups, and then your bags are taken off for you, and then put on a much smaller boat, uh, which goes off with you to, to Briar, and uh, you don't see your luggage until until you reach Briar. So it's a very well-organized system, but but you just need to make sure that um, you know you only take in like, essentials really, so you don't get bogged down. We camped when we went and stayed in a campsite on Briar, so we we really had to be. Uh because we obviously had the tent and some camping equipment and uh, and not much else.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I would be up for the camping, but I'm not sure if my wife would. She's more of like the, the glamping uh, type of personality, you know, or she wants to get like, spoiled and <laughs> everything when we're on vacation. So uh, I'm sure there's some other hotels that are there, whether it's, I'm not sure if they're like a boutique or like it's more like a brand name. There's quite a, a wide range. You, you won't find sort of major
1: chains um, in the Isles of but there are certainly hotels guest houses, English pubs where you can stay, bed and breakfast as as well as the camping. You've also got self-catering cottages that can be rented um, as well. One thing that I would say for people who are planning to go and and wanting to check out this place is to uh, book well in advance, particularly if you're going in the school holidays because generally they have a system there where they will release that they will release rooms and also some campsites release their pitches uh, in november and they have a date when they say right we'll be releasing it in in this day in november for the following summer and it can all get sort of sold out and snapped up in a, in a matter of hours it's like a lady gaga concert going on sale <laughs> everybody's on there at the same time
0: wanting to book up their their summer break Wow, uh, it's pretty amazing. That it's such a popular destination, yet most of us have never heard of it.
1: It's extremely popular, and it's got high demand there. And I think it's um, it's extremely popular, and also quite expensive. I think in terms of like hotels and renting accommodation, because the su- the supply is not the, doesn't meet meet the demand. So you, it's not somewhere you can just go. You know, it's, it's quite possible that all the accommodation will be sort of sold out during the. The school holidays so yeah you've got to, you've got to plan in advance really also the ferry doesn't go all year round so it, it sort of stops for the winter season which again limits limits the supply of holidays uh,
0: on scilly sure uh do you recall like how much it was to take the ferry back and forth the ferry wasn't it wasn't too much i don't remember i can't remember exactly but
1: it wasn't extortionate and the reason for that is because you everybody's a passenger a foot passenger and you're not taking your car okay
0: yeah, I'll, I'll look that up. We'll include that in the show notes for people that are listening. Okay, so obviously you were you got motivated to write the book and everything. Like how did you choose to stay there in Scilly and, and why did you choose Briar? A little bit of research. All, all the little islands on Scilly have got their own uh,
1: unique feature. We knew we wanted to camp, and the, the stories that we sort of saw on the online of people turning up at the campsite on Briar, it was almost like a fairy tale, I'll be honest. It sounded too good to be true. So we just wanted to check it out. And it turned out to be exactly as as described. So the boat turned up to the briar with the tent and the sort of limited luggage that we'd got. And we were met by the campsite owners who came down with a tractor uh, and a trailer. And so this small boat turned up to this very small jetty to this island of of briar where I think 80 people call it home and, and stay there sort of all year round. And then all the bags got put on the trailer, the tractor disappeared up the top of the hill, up this track, which was sort of inaccessible to cars, and sort of dropped your stuff in this field, and you followed it up, or walking a, a pace behind it. Uh, and when you found it, you chose your pitch, uh, and there you were, set up in this idyllic location, where you could obviously see the sea, and you could look out to other islands. Amazing, an amazing place. And there were people um, on the campsite who had been going back to that particular island for years on end. And there was even one person who said it was his sort of ambition to spend like a longer period of time there, and and he was like booked in for three months, solid. Oh, wow. So uh, a really different lifestyle and a really different way of life, Uh, really busy in the summer months, and, uh, and, and quite quiet again in the winter when the boat stops going out there.
0: Yeah, that sounds amazing. Like, so, kind of speaking of like winter and, and summer and everything, what's the weather like there throughout the year? The weather is unseasonably good
1: for uh, by British standards. I mean, the, the the British summer is notoriously up and down. You know, if you, if you're going away to uh, the coast in in Britain, yeah, you can pack your shorts and your sun cream, but you're also going to take your umbrellas and, and your wellies. So, the Isles of Scilly have a, a really good a reputation for for getting possibly the the best of, uh, of British weather. Firstly, it's the most southern point really in the, in the British Isles, so it's uh, closer to the equator. So it gets it's a little warmer basically than it is if you head up to one of the Scottish islands. Um, but there are also places on there that like benefit from having their own microclimate. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's well known for being uh, for being quite warm.
0: I mean when we hear about London and and England and everything. You think of like dark skies and, and gray and and gloomy and everything, and so it's like you said it's amazing that it that it has that great weather, and that must be why it's so popular right that's why it sells out in in a matter of hours yeah also it's as near to it's as near to a, a tropical paradise as you're going to get in the
1: united Kingdom that's why it's popular it's sort of unlike anywhere else in the United Kingdom because there are small islands with sandy beaches with hardly anybody living there and yeah a, a unique sort of feel you're completely cut off from you know the the rest of the rest of the nation uh, and that's the appeal really it's almost it's like like a cheaper version of uh, going to the Caribbean for so people in the UK. And it's got, it's got that kind of, of demand as well. You, you really do need to be, uh, to be well organized to get in there. Even for this campsite where we, we, you know, we had to book it like a, the previous year to uh, ensure that we got on.
0: Sure. And so, okay. And so, you mentioned before about not being able to bring your car, obviously, because the islands are probably pretty small and, and everything else. But none of us have been there, uh, and we're not sure exactly what it looks like. So how do we get around? Is it, is it small enough where you could just like, walk from like one side of the island to the other? Is everything walkable that way? Or do you, are there little like cars or buses or something on the islands to get you around? Right, okay. So when you're actually staying on the island,
1: like Briar is sort of quite small. You, you know you're talking maybe 500 meters um across so you can walk everywhere you can get around briar quite easily and as soon as when you're at the highest point you can see all around the island and across the sort of water to the other islands too as far as getting around between the uh, the other islands it's the whole community is relying on the boat buses so you will have to check out the times of the boat buses if you're wanting to sort of explore. So, and these are posted on a notice board, and you, you literally go down and you ch- and you check the night before and see what boat buses are on, and you know they might be going to the Isle and of, of Tresco or St Martin's or back to St Mary's. Different boats go to different places in diff- on different days, and it's a case of um, sort of booking on those but you don't want to miss your return boat <laughs> because <laughs> you will be stranded on on an island uh, and then you're into sort of... The boats are, are sort of very, very reasonably priced. You can sort of get the journey sorted for a, a couple of pounds each way. Um, if you're having to get your own water taxi, you're getting into uh, more expensive realms, I think. But um, it's certainly not like... You couldn't be staying on Briar and think, right, I want to go to Tresco tomorrow because there might not be a boat on. So if you, you are at the mercy of um, of where the boats are going, and you need to plan your, if you've got a week there, you need to plan your days out if, if you're wanting to explore, because only certain boats will go to certain places on different days, and, and then it'll just be one going in the morning, so you might be setting off at 10 o'clock, and then you know that the boat comes back at 3, so you've got to be ready on the jetty at 3 for them to pick you up.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When I was doing a little research, uh, I went to the, the website called visit and I saw that on some of the islands there's like you can rent a, you can rent bikes or you can rent like little golf carts to get around.
1: Yeah. So on the slightly bigger islands, uh, and we're talking about St Mary's and also an island called Tresco, yeah, there, there is a, a few more roads and tracks on there, so it is possible to um, rent bikes. Um having said that, we went across to, to Tresco, which is like double the size of, of Briar, but we were still able to to do a, a complete walking circuit of it in the in the time that was allowed.
0: Okay. All right. So while we're there, I mean like I'm all for sitting on the beach and like hanging out for a little bit, but I get bored very <laughs> easily. You know, I can only I can only do that for maybe one day. What are some of the other attractions? What are some of the things that you do when you're there on these islands other than just kind of getting away from, from uh, the normal life? Like, what do you do? And, and I have young kids and so I got to keep them occupied and I got to keep them entertained. So what are some of the, what are some of the main attractions there? Okay. So you can spend, I mean, there are lots of sort of quite adventure type things to do.
1: So you, you might want to, you could hire kayaks and go exploring and sort of go, go between the islands on, on kayaks or, or something like that if you were wanting to get out and explore the the, the water there're also some museums and like visitor attractions and i think probably the best known is going to be on Tresco so they've got a sort of a famous botanical gardens on Tresco which is it takes advantage of the unique microclimate that's there Tresco is an island that gets really warm and sunny but also because of the way that the um, because of the, the relief of the island, the slopes and, and the hills there, it gets quite a lot of rain. So we get this garden on, on in Tresco where they're able to grow plants from pretty much all over the world. Like they can grow tropical plants there, which is is unheard of, like on mainland Britain. So it really is like a, a special place for botanic uh, botanical world. And you can go there and you can have a good look around and, and see plants and trees that are usually grown on the equator and it's the only opportunity you'll get to see them in in the united kingdom um, and even if you go at christmas even if you go around like winter time while everything else in in britain is sort of uh, dead and dying and waiting for spring to come along there is still i think 300 different types of uh, flowering plants that are blooming in the gardens on tresco during the winter there's also quite an interesting museum that is linked to that called the valhalla museum which is within the sort of Abbey Gardens, and because in days gone by, when there were lots of shipwrecks in this area, obviously lots of uh, ships coming into the area and falling victim to the surrounding rocks, which is something that, like Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly, are, are very famous for. What happened was all these shipwrecks. Uh, there's, there's a collection of figureheads that used to sit on the front of the of the boat. Uh, and all these figureheads are in this museum called the Valhalla Museum, and, and a little bit about all the vessels that have been lost uh, and what was on them in those days when there used to be shipwrecks at, at a fairly frequent rate.
0: Oh, wow. Now, like I said, I was doing the research on the com, and my podcast editor, he's really into like the, the dark skies and like being able to, to view all the stars and everything like that. And it seems like... Because the islands are so remote and because there's so few people there, it would be a perfect spot for that. And I saw that there's actually a Dark Skies Week that happens in October.
1: Yeah, so there's a Dark Skies Week where a lot of astronomers uh, and amateur enthusiasts will gather. But you really don't need to wait until that particular week, although there will be like talks on other events during that week. I'd recommend anybody who was going to take... A pair of binoculars uh, and it's great for stargazing because there's so little light pollution so you don't have to go very far before you're in an area where there are no buildings nearby you get a complete great view of the sky obviously october probably a better time to go than uh, june because you're going to get more dark sky but yeah pretty much all year round you can get great views of the sky if it's uh if it's a clear evening and again, you don't, need to be, you, you don't need to move too far before, before you have got that awesome view without
0: any, uh, any, any light pollution. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Now, I know that, you know, obviously, you know, UK has certain foods and, and delicacies that are, that are kind of unique to that area. In the Isles of Scilly, is there anything that's kind of unique to that, to that region?
1: Well, yeah, so Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly are well known for Cornish pasties. So we have a rule if we go on holiday to the Isles of Scilly or to Cornwall where you've got to have a Cornish pasty every day, which is is absolutely wonderful, <laughs> uh, a wonderful tradition to have. Not so great on the uh, on the waistline, it has to be said. But the uh, the, the Cornish pasty, for those who, who don't know, is basically a pastry with a sort of meat, potato and vegetable filling. And the pastry is then folded over to make this Oh, it's, it's sort of a it's sort of an edible container, really, containing the food, and then you, you eat the obviously you eat the meat and the vegetables inside it, and then you tackle the the, the pastry as well. And these the, this was invented as a, a food for miners to take into sort of in Cornwall because it was so practical to to carry. It was basically like food inside a pastry wallet. You also find Cornish pasties are quite popular in certain parts of Australia and also in Mexico as well. There are places where Cornish pasties are like a a sort of unique local food. And that's because when the mining industry in in Cornwall collapsed because the price of tin fell overnight, a lot of the miners who didn't know any other work uh, were offered jobs elsewhere where the mines were still working. So a lot of the Cornish miners went to the other side of the world and, and with them took this idea of the Cornish pasty, uh, and, and, it, and it lives on in uh, in other nations as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that, I mean, I think that's one of the great things about travel. Whether we're going to a, a place like Scilly or any place else, is that you go there and you experience like the new foods, and you bring those foods back with you and the, those tastes and everything, and uh, you introduce that to your friends. And I think that's a that's a great way of experiencing other cultures, even if you're not traveling. Obviously,
1: there have a lot of seafood places to eat as well. So, yeah, because the islands, of course, uh, fishing is a big, a big deal there as well. So, a lot of the places will be serving up food. And also, one place which I, I would recommend that people went if they were in the area is to the island of St. Agnes. Uh, you've got a farm on St. Agnes where they take the milk from the cows and make it into, into their own ice cream right there on the farm. So, it's sort of ice cream with a really low carbon footprint. You can basically see the cows of where it's
0: come from. Yeah. Oh, that's delicious. Uh, I'm sure my kids would totally be all about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. When I was, like I said, when I was looking at the, the website, like almost every, all the attractions were all like, different restaurants and everything. And so, what are some of like, the, the great restaurants, whether it's a breakfast or a lunch or, or something else, that, that uh, we should hit while we're there? Right, okay, so you're not going
1: to be inundated with lots of different options because these are very small places, uh, so you've you've got limited choice, but there are a number of different places that you should sort of put on your tick list. You should try, I think, to go to... I mean, Britain's obviously famous for its pubs and its pub culture, so you should try and get to one of the pubs there. One that springs to mind is... Um, brilliantly named Fraggle Rock Bar <laughs> on Briar, which is a great pub and serves up some, uh, some tasty uh, British pub meals. There's also one that I remember visiting on St Agnes called uh, the Turk's Head, which is a, a good pub to visit to as well, and, and they were serving up. In fact, as you arrived on the island, you could, uh, you could order a Cornish pasty from there, which was made fresh for you, uh, and then you pick it up later. And they were doing other bar meals as well, so um, so that's good. On St. Agnes, there's a well-respected seafood restaurant called um, High Tide, uh, and some of them, even if you're on the other islands, I, I noticed when I was there that um, the, the boat companies, because that was such a well-respected restaurant, they were putting on special boat tours so you could book, say you were staying on Briar or Tresco, you could book that boat and like set off at 5 o'clock and it would take you over for your restaurant sitting you'd have your meal and then get the boat back a bit like uh in, in a
0: city probably you know booking a
1: taxi in advance but
0: just <laughs> a, a little bit a bit stranger sure sure now like you've mentioned the kind of the water taxis and the boats that go around and you also even mentioned being able to kayak between the islands so are they really that close yeah they are they are close some of them obviously there's some that are a distance
1: between them but between briar and tresco there are days and, and again, you need to check out that the days depending on the tides and don't attempt it on yourself uh, yourself unless you've got a guide. But when, when there is an unusually low tide, you can walk between Briar and Tresco on a sand flat between the two islands. Um, it only, I think it only happens maybe a couple of times a year. But yeah, you can see the other islands and um, the, the boat journeys are massive and certainly you can get around them all pretty quickly. It wouldn't be unusual to go for a week and visit five or six different islands and have basically day trips at each one to just get the feel of the place
0: oh yeah that sounds amazing well Peter I really appreciate you sharing all these amazing tips for for the Isles of Silly I've learned a lot and it sounds like it's such an amazing place to go I'm gonna to have to try to book my trip in the fall so that way I can actually make it there and and, and not be uh, turned away with no reservations but now it's time for the final countdown if somebody only had time for one meal when they visited the Isles of Silly where should they go and what should they eat?
1: Oh, this is a really tough one. If pushed to it, I would say get yourself to Briar, and there is a place in there called the Crab Shack where you can go and get the, the latest catch with crab obviously being a speciality of theirs. Oh, that sounds delicious.
0: Now, you were there for, you know, I think about four years ago, uh, and you spent a little bit of time there. What's one of your most memorable stories of, of being there at the Isles of Silly? Probably the, the thing I remember
1: most was. In the summer, in the summer season, they the sort of, the local sport is called gig racing. And these boats, which are called gigs, like similar to rowing boats, really. And each of the islands has a, a gig racing team, uh, a gig team. So what you would do is you would, you can go online and check out the fixture list. Uh, so you might have, like, Briar versus Tresco or St. Agnes versus, you know, St. Martins. And uh, because these uh, races are taking place out at sea, you can book on uh, a boat, and the boat basically goes alongside them, uh, and it's like a spectator boat, and you go alongside them, and you you see the race taking place. So we did this, uh, and we went out to watch watch a gig race, which started off a a couple of miles out to sea, and you were following these boats to this finish line, which was the the harbor uh, on on an island called Rat Island, which is close to St. Martins. Yeah, really, really wonderful thing to take part in and a really important part of the um, sort of sporting culture
0: on the Isles of Silly. That sounds amazing. It's cool that yeah, obviously they, the islands have all this camaraderie, but also that friendly competition.
1: Yeah, they do. And and so, of, so the local gig races will take place regularly throughout the season. But also um, another thing in, in the middle of the summer, there is a gig racing world championship, which is also... Always held on the Isles of Scilly, it will be difficult to get accommodation for, for that. But there are different types of races that are held during that World Championship, and uh, it's very popular and a, and a great thing to uh, experience. Oh, wow,
0: that sounds awesome! So, speaking of good times and friendly competition, you know, uh, obviously after a good competition, you want to go and have a beer with, with your with your teammates or your competitors. So, where's the happiest happy hour in uh, the Isles of Scilly? The happiest place that
1: I went. I would definitely recommend going to uh, the Fraggle Rock Bar on Briar. Also on St. Martins, the capital of St. Martins. And I say capital, you, you mustn't get excited by the there are no bright lights or anything uh, there. But on St. My, uh, on St. Martins, there's, there's quite a few pubs in the, the capital, which is called Hugh Town. All right. And and you could basically go around there and there are plenty of pubs to get involved in. But also make sure that uh, after having a few sort of Cornish beers, you're sort of soaking
0: it up with uh, a nice portion of fish and chips as well, which is another great local eating tradition. For sure. Yeah. The other thing I I saw is that there seem to be several wineries there as well. So I think if people aren't interested in drinking beer or or anything along those lines, there's a lot of wineries that, that have great options as well. So, yeah, you will find a couple of uh, of vineyards. There's one on St. Mary's as well. And it may strike
1: people as being... I mean, England is not well known for its wines, it has to be said. (laughs) Uh, I've had some English wine, and, um, yeah, it's it's better to to be avoided. But the the stuff that I sampled on uh, Scilly was quite good. Out of all the places in the United Kingdom, it's probably the best place to have a a vineyard because you've got a longer growing season and and the weather's more favorable.
0: Sure. Well, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is check out the local pizza. If I want to grab a pizza in, in the Isles of Scilly, where should I go for that? Head to the Bishop and Wolf in St. Mary's. That's a good restaurant and uh,
1: the pizza there is uh, comes recommended. Fantastic.
0: Now, uh, obviously, you, you wrote this amazing book about 200 islands you know, there um, in uh, the United Kingdom. You've obviously traveled a lot to be able to cover all of them. Like, what's your best travel tip? The best travel tip for visiting British islands is always to
1: have a plan B. <laughs> Obviously for this book uh, Treasured Islands we a lot of the trips were made with my family and I made some of them on my own. But the amount of disruption that was uh, that, that was caused, especially going to the islands around Scotland as well due to uh, due to weather and ferries being cancelled so you could you could plan a, a very sort of extravagant couple of weeks island hopping. But there were, there were times when, because of a storm, there were no ferries for two or three days. So you were like a domino effect. The rest of the rest of the trip sort of fell apart. So always always have a plan B, and always book ahead as well, because obviously you're, you're relying on ferries moving you between these um, islands. And if the ferries fall, or the ferries booked up, you're pretty stuffed, actually. <laughs> actually. If you've not got accommodation on the island at that time, and the last ferries just sailed away, and there wasn't any room for you to, uh, to, to get on it, yeah, you, you, you're left with a problem. So be well prepared, plan ahead, and also be prepared for some things to, uh, to go wrong.
0: Be ready for the unexpected. For sure, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Peter, again, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all these amazing tips for the Isles of Scilly, and it sounds like a wonderful place, and hopefully we'll be able to visit one day. Can you tell the audience a little bit about uh, your book, Treasured Islands, as well as uh, your other book, Around the Coast in 80 Days?
1: Yeah, so the first one that I wrote was a journey around the coast of the United Kingdom, which was called Around the Coast in 80 Days, which, as the title might suggest, um, I stopped off at the best 80 places to visit all around the British coast, some of them like isolated, were the best places to look for you know, getting away from it, but also the best places to go and have like a a typical English seaside day out, places like Blackpool and uh, and, and Brighton uh, with a pier and a fish and chips and some uh, amusements and fairground rides and things like that. So there's, there's a good mix of places in there. But as I was writing that book, you were going to ports and places like that and you were seeing ferries leave and go off to these like distant lands. And it was then that I started thinking about the, the islands that are off the coast of Britain. So the next logical book was to write treasured islands and discover some of these places that are off the coast of Britain, but as well as the offshore islands. There were quite a lot of inshore islands as well in Britain. So places like in the Lake District is a, a, like a mountainous place in the northwest of England with lots of lakes. There are some great islands on there that have influenced a lot of famous literary works. Beatrix Potter, a uh, well-known Victorian children's writer, was influenced by a lot of those islands, and also a famous book called Swallows and Amazons was influenced by those as well. So inshore islands and offshore islands, we yeah got about to a lot of these places, and it's amazing how every one of them has its own unique feel. They've got their own traditions, they might have got their own sporting cultures, they might have got their own foods, their own industries, uh, and something else, something else that they might be famous for. And, and you wouldn't have thought that for so many of the islands, but you could look at any of the islands in this book, and the, they've got something that makes them stand out from all the others.
0: Yeah, That's fascinating. I have actually have a copy of your book, so thank you for sending that over to me. And I've, I've had a chance to read through it, and it, it is fascinating. And it's interesting to learn about all these new places that you would have never known about. Yeah, thank you. It, makes you. it makes you hungry to want to go out and, uh, and, and get exploring, doesn't it, I think? Absolutely. So if somebody has a about The Isle of Scilly or about either of your books, what's the best way for them to reach you on social media? I have a Twitter
1: account, which is at Peter Naldritt. And uh, yeah, just get in touch. It'd be nice to hear from people.
0: Well, fantastic. Well, we'll include all that in the show notes. And we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Thanks very much. What an awesome conversation with Peter. I'd love to spend a few days on the islands the next time I visit England. You can find all the links we talked about today at wetravelthere.com forward slash Silly. We want to say thank you to Acorns for being today's affiliate partner. With Acorns, you can invest spare change automatically on every purchase that you make. Plus, you can earn found money by shopping at participating retailers. This is a great way to easily build up your travel fund. For a limited time, when you sign up at wetravelthere.com forward slash Acorns, we'll both earn $5. Join us next time as we head to Copenhagen, Denmark to speak with my new friend Sally Bunnell, the founder of the Nabby Savvy app. Sally and I talk about visiting the mermaid statue, exploring the Tivoli Gardens, and skiing at Copenhagen. Hope to join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app that so we don't miss any of our upcoming destinations.